Well, good morning, church. I am Mike Bechtold. I'm the youth pastor, and it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, We are digging through the Wayfinding series, and this morning we are encountering a story that many of us have probably heard dozens and dozens of times. Uh, perhaps you remember hearing it from uh, your Sunday school class with the flannel graph up, on the, up at the front, or if you're like me, maybe you saw it on Superbook, uh, one of the old TV shows. Uh, whatever you're, wherever you've heard the story, it's for us when we encounter stories that we've heard dozens of times, we have a tendency to tune them out. And this morning, I invite you to look at this story, one that maybe you've heard dozens of times as this beautiful diamond And as you get older and as you find yourselves in different life situations or looking at life differently, you're slowly turning this diamond and looking at it in a new way and seeing the beauty of this story come to light. So I invite you this morning to look at this story and the many others that we may encounter throughout the year as this beautiful diamond. And if this is the first time you're hearing this story, awesome. You get a great, fresh perspective of of the truth of what God is speaking to us in the life of Daniel. And so... I feel like we have to start our story actually recapping a bit of Israel's story because it plays so much into the life of Daniel and it really goes back to the Exodus. Okay? Before that, Israel, this, these people the, known as the Hebrews, were slaves in Egypt. Okay? They were, the Egyptians were this world power and they had this entire people group of the Hebrews as their slaves. And then God calls Moses to come in and Moses comes in by the power of God. They walk literally out the front doors of this world power literally by the power of God, walked out the front doors of this world power. And as they uh, went into the wilderness, they got God's law, and then they ended up at this banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and begin taking the land that God had been promising them. The promise made to Abraham and then told generation after generation after generation about the, the land that God had been giving them. And now it was time under Joshua to begin taking city after city. And they did this and then they began to settle in the region of Israel. And after that, when they settled, they began to figure out they had God's law, they had the land. Let's now try to figure out doing life with God. What does it look like to be God's people? And so we see that happen throughout the time of the judges, and eventually they get to this place where they're like, you know what, we're missing something still here. Because you look at all the nations around us, they all have a king. We don't have a king. We should, we should have a king. And so they pleaded to God for a king, and God really said, well, really, you're rejecting me as your king, but fine, go ahead, here's your king. And so they raise up Saul. And Saul's raised, and they can officially say, we did it. We are a nation by the world's standards, and the world is now looking at Israel, this new and young nation who has a king. And now, even though uh, Saul ended up being kind of a psycho at the end of the story, um, we, uh, we see after him comes David, and then after David comes Solomon. And Solomon's important for two reasons. One was because God blessed him with this amazing gift of wisdom, Okay, and other texts outside of scripture talk about people going to visit Solomon and his infinite wisdom. So again, this young nation is being given, drawn attention to as Solomon has this, um, this immaculate mind and wise thinking. And then the second most important thing that happens is he builds the temple. Okay, they've been talking about it for a while and no more, uh, no more wandering, no more nomad, no more tabernacling. Now that we are settled in our land, we're going to build the temple, this symbol that, talk, that showed the world that Yahweh, God, the God, was among us and dwelt among us. And they put it up high in Jerusalem for everyone to see. And after that moment, they did it. 
Okay, in spite of a divided monarchy that led to Israel and Judah, they still were living the dream as being God's people of the promise. They're living the dream. The promises have been talked about since Abraham. That was them. They were the generation living the dream of the promise. So exciting to be that generation until the exile hit. We talked about this a couple weeks, but when Assyria came in and then uh, Babylon, focusing specifically on Jerusalem, this beautiful city with the temple was destroyed. Okay, it started with the walls being ripped apart, losing their safety and security for their city. Those walls protected the people inside. And these walls were now a pile of rubble around the outskirts of the city. So other armies could just walk right in. Thieves and robbers can just walk right in and do whatever they wanted there. Take whatever they wanted. Kill whoever they wanted. They no longer had safety and security with these walls being gone. And then to add to the problem, families were split. As the the best and the brightest and the strongest were taken off as slaves to Babylon. So not only were the walls gone... But then the people who could defend those who were still weak were taken away. So talk about hopeless and left defenseless. But probably the worst part of this all would be to look up and see that symbol, the temple, falling apart, crumbling. That permanent symbol saying that God is among us, showing the world is no longer there. The people, this once proud nation, was back where they started. Slaves in a foreign land. I mean, can you imagine being the generation that lost it all? Can you imagine being that generation? Where would you have hope? I mean, I can recall a couple of years back, I had some cousins who, their fa- uh, one night while they were sleeping, their house caught on fire. And thankfully, they all were able to get out safely, but standing there in their pajamas, watching their house burn and crumble into Nothing. Losing everything. And some of you can relate to this or some of you know somebody who can relate to this. There is so much despair and so much hopelessness in that moment when you watch everything you had completely taken from you, completely gone. Imagine how much greater this is for an entire nation, an entire people of losing everything. So in the exile... Our story in the book of Daniel follows four guys. You've got Daniel, and then you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for those of you who are parents, you know them as Shadrach and Benny, thanks to VeggieTales, right? And uh, these are some great stories in the book of Daniel following these four and their rise to status with the Babylonian kings. But we also learn in the stories that they were really alone. They were really alone when it came to trusting the Lord. You see that in chapter one with the battle of the diet where Daniel and his four bu- or three buds were standing here and they're like, you know what, the food you're feeding us isn't right. God says we shouldn't do that. So we're gonna eat the food that God told us to eat and you go ahead and feed them and we're gonna show you that God's ways make us stronger and better. And they did, they proved that to them. And then a couple chapters later, you have that great story of the fiery furnace and the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship my gold idol. And the three, uh, Shakrach and Benny, are like, no, we're not gonna do that because we believe in God and we're gonna trust him and follow his ways. And they said that in the midst of when everyone else did what they were told. They were the only ones to stand up and remain faithful in these stories. And after a few other great stories that happened between that time and now, we see Daniel interacting with the new king, Darius. So open up with me to Daniel chapter six. 
Um, we're going to read through the entirety of this story. It's 24 verses long. It's such a great story. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to just picture the story in your mind. There's just some great things that happen in here. So here we go. Daniel chapter 6. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 providences, and he appointed a high officer to rule over every providence. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went before the king and said, long live King Darius. You can already hear the suck-up happening, right? Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, uh, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So as King Darius signed this law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives of Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of his day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law and the means of the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at the last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions, and he said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with the royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent all night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, and he couldn't even sleep that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they could not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty." The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. 
And then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. I don't remember that part in the children's story. But <laughs> let's stop there because I want to touch on two different perspectives from this, uh, from this account. One coming from the perspective of Daniel and then one coming from the perspective of King Darius. So from Daniel's point of view, we see this overarching theme of staying faithful and trusting God in the midst of all oppression. Okay, we saw that in the battle of their diet where they said, we're going to trust God in his ways because his ways are better. Then you saw that with the fiery furnace because they said that God's ways are better. We're going to trust him in the midst of that situation. And now we see that with Daniel. They stood up for what they believed in. Their faith and hope in the Lord was worth dying for. Okay, their hope didn't mean that they were always going to prosper because if you went back to chapter 3 in the fiery furnace, Shakrach and Benny are standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar about to go in the furnace and they say, our hope and trust is in the Lord and we believe that our Lord is going to protect us from your fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, that's important, if he doesn't, know that we will not bow down to your idol. See, if it were me in that situation, I would have totally been hoping, hoping in what I would have wanted to have happen. Like, I would have hoped that the king would have changed his mind, or I would have hoped that it would have rained so hard to extinguish that fire, right? So my hope would have been in my wishful thinking. But for them, their hope is in something so much greater that allowed them to move forward in spite of their situation. They had a confident expectation in who God was and his plan, so because of this hope that Daniel had, and even the other three, the hope that they, these four had, they were hope in the midst of hopelessness. Okay, their people, again, were back where they started, slaves in a foreign land. They had nothing. They had lost all their hope, and they had even lost their leaders. So they were leaders when Israel had no leaders. They reminded them to keep their hope in the Lord, to continue to trust in the Lord in the midst of this situation. And maybe this is where you find yourself this morning, at a place where you need to be reminded to trust God in the midst of your situation. Because at some point, we all find ourselves in exile. We all find ourselves in a place where we are in exile. Maybe you're forced to be far away from family and friends, from your loved ones. Maybe you have to be far away from them. Or maybe you're finding yourself in unsafe or insecure situations. Or even still the idea of maybe you're feeling like you're in exile from God. Feeling very distant from God. Daniel reminds us that when everything is at its worst, trust in the Lord. Have hope. So what areas in your life do you find yourself really needing to trust God in this moment? Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe you've got something going on, some uckiness in your family. You just, you don't really know what to do. And maybe you just need to be reminded to trust in the Lord. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you've got some big bills to pay and you just, you don't know what you're going to do in this situation. You just need to remember to trust in the Lord in this time. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you recently got let go or you've been looking for a while. You just don't know what to do and you just need to remember to trust in the Lord. Maybe you're like me and you're a student and you've got so many papers to write you just don't know how you're going to fit them into the time frame that they're due. 
And in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, you just need to remember to trust in the Lord. Or maybe it's health. Maybe you heard some not so good news from the doctor and you just need to remember when this is gonna be a difficult season to trust in the Lord. And Daniel reminds us that in the midst of exile, this is the most important time to trust in the Lord because it's easy to trust God when everything's great. It's easy to trust him when everything is going great. It's the moments where life is hard, the moments where you feel like you're in exile. You remember how much you need God. I remember how much I need God in those moments. And it's stories like Daniel that reminds us, don't forget, trust in the Lord, have hope. So where do you begin? I believe Daniel set the standard very well by getting down on your knees and bowing before God in prayer. So if you're somebody who is feeling like you are in exile this morning, if you're feeling like you've got a difficult season in front of you and you need to be reminded to put your trust and hope in the Lord, I invite you to come after the service to the cross. There's some amazing people who love to pray with you and will lift these up for you. And so I invite you, if this is you this morning, if you're about to enter into that season, come and pray. Come and tell God how much you need him in this moment and how much you're trusting and putting hope in him. I don't want to push that aside because we're going to come back to this in a second. But I want to look at the other perspective that is of King Darius. And it's interesting how much the other voices in King Darius' life impacted his choices. Okay, he trusted those who were closest to him. Now, to their defense, they were his advisors and officials, right? But they they had so much power that they were able to influence him Their voices were impacting his choices. And what really happened, okay, he was trusting them to be helping him be the best king he could be. And what really happened was that they were manipulating him to create a law that even he couldn't change. I mean, I can't even fathom that. A king who controls the country and creates all of his laws, creating a law that even he couldn't change. That's how much power and authority these officials and advisors had in the king's life. And the king soon learned that he had been listening to the wrong voices. And sadly, it took a horrible situation that broke the king's heart with what he had to do to Daniel because he had become attached to Daniel and his leadership. So my question for you is, what voices are impacting your choices this morning? What voices are impacting your choices? For a lot of us, it's media. Okay, the things you watch in movie and TVs or even what you see on Facebook and Twitter, all these things impact how we live, what we say, what we do, how we act. These things impact us. They are essentially a voice that impacts our choices. For others, it might be your coworkers and neighbors, people you maybe don't interact directly with but work in the cubicle next to you or uh, begged your groceries at the grocery store. These people also have a tendency to be a voice that impacts our choices. The most common one is family and friends, the people you are constantly surrounded by, the people you interact with on a regular basis. Their voices are usually the strongest in impacting our choices. And so my question for you is, when you think about all these voices that come at us, all these voices that impact us, my question for you is this, are you listening to the right voices? Are you listening to the right voices? Are they voices that encourage and build you up to be the best you can be for God? Or are they voices that manipulate and tear you down? 
I mean, I see this all the time in the youth ministry. Students are constantly wrestling with who should you hang out with, what should you wear, how should you act, is this right or wrong, constantly dealing with this battle. So many voices in youth ministry culture. But the interesting thing is that realizing that when you become adults, it doesn't get any easier, right? It doesn't get any easier. You have to ask what voices are speaking into my life and are they the right voices in this moment? Do I have the right voices? And that might mean you need to walk away from a voice. You may have a voice that is horribly manipulating and tearing you down and you have to say goodbye to that voice. Some other times it might mean you need to surround yourself with the right voices, being around the right people. And that might even mean asking somebody to mentor you. We don't do that a whole lot. But it's a great thing to have somebody a little older and a little wiser speaking truth into your life to help you be the best you can be for God. That's what I love about our confirmation program this year. We've got adults who are mentoring kids, not to tell them how to live, but to help them be the best they can be for God. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. So we have voices that impact our choices and ask yourself, are they the right voices? But then I want to flip the coin And notice that while there are voices that impact our choices, we are a voice that impacts other people's choices as well. How we live for the Lord and the voice we become to others impacts their world. Okay, The story actually isn't over yet. We see Daniel's impact in the life of King Darius. And so starting at verse 25, I'm just going to read these couple verses. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout the kingdom, and he's really saying that everyone in my kingdom is doing this, so you should do this in your kingdom as well. Okay, So everyone in my kingdom should tremble, tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, and he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's voice not only influenced the king as we had seen throughout the entire story, but his voice would go on to impact the world because that message went out to the world. And here's the interesting thing about Daniel's voice. In the midst of exile, Daniel had a voice. Sometimes we think that when we're in exile, nobody's listening to us, nobody's paying attention to us. But the reality is that we still have a voice. And actually, sometimes when we're in exile, our voice can be the loudest. Because how you interact with your spouse, how do you interact with your kids, how you interact with the people at the coffee shop or your coworkers or your neighbors, when you are in an exile situation, that says a lot about you. And it can say a lot about your God. So when you encounter others, my question for you is, who who are you influencing? Who are the people in your life that you influence, whether directly or indirectly? Because you also, as much as you influence your children, you also essentially influence the person who's in the car next to you in rush hour. So who are you influencing? And my question for you is, are you being a voice that encourages and builds them up? Or do you find yourself manipulating and tearing them down? It's the same question that's being asked for those who are voices to you. But now it's on you. And the sadly thing is that even sometimes, because of how we're naturally wired, we're naturally wired about us. So when times come 
we have a tendency to build ourselves up and to put ourselves first. And that might mean that we unintentionally manipulate other people or we unintentionally tear other people down. And it's hard when you find yourself doing that, but you have to make a conscious choice in that moment to do the opposite, to build them up, to build them up, to encourage them. That is what God calls us to do. And it's really hard, especially when it's your enemies. But we are here to build them up. And through Daniel's voice, we are reminded that we have a conscious choice to be the right voice for others. And that voice is to tell the world and to show the world about an awesome God. An awesome God who shuts the mouths of lions when he wants to. So in closing, I want to refresh our three areas. First off is, do you find yourself in exile and really needing to trust God in this situation? If you find yourself in exile, I invite you, and I even beg you, come to the cross this morning after the service and let God handle it. Tell God how much you need him in this season and request that to him. Secondly, What voices are impacting your choices? What are the voices that you let impact your choices in your life? And ask yourself, am I listening to the right voices? Are these the right voices I need right now to help me be the best I can be for God? And then lastly, who are you influencing? Who are the people that you influence on a regular basis? And are you being the right voice for them? Are you being a voice that points others to God? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear such an amazing story of a miraculous signs through the life of Daniel and his friends. So Father God, I pray that you take this story, this, this nugget of truth as we recognize how much we need you in the midst of exile and how much influence we have in our own life and in the life of others. And so Father God, I pray you take this and uh, help us to recognize this throughout our week that we can not only be the best we can be for you, but to help others do the same. So Lord, we love you and we pray now on, uh, pray this in your name. Amen.